of the reconnect with your teenager podcast with yours truly emma g if you are new to this platform welcome it's great to have you here uh let me tell you a little bit about what this whole shenanigan is (laughs) so i'm a youth empowerment through songwriting coach as well as a musician singer and songwriter and just before the pandemic i decided to expand my vision of saving the world one song at a time to not just be about my music which you just heard a little bit about but also helping young people to step into their power, the authenticity, and the uniqueness of their voices through the art of songwriting. It's a relatively unique approach to youth development and youth empowerment work, but I am not alone. No, 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 my friends. I am not alone in breaking through the barriers a little bit and coloring outside the lines when it comes to helping other young people overcome their stress, anxiety, and overwhelm in maybe some unconventional ways. Today, I have a special guest all the way from Colorado. She is an integrative change coach. She has such a huge emphasis on neuro work and making sure that our neuro pathways are firing correctly so that we can actually make those changes with our parents, their caregivers, and of course, the teenagers. How are you, Celestina? Hey, thank you so much for having me. Of course, it's so good to you know to meet you finally in person. Um, I want to thank you again for coming on and taking the time out of your busy schedule because you are you're you're a hugely busy person doing a really um, unique you know a unique work. Your your approach, I think, to youth empowerment and youth development is not what people I think typically think of when they think of helping teenagers. So tell me, like, what is it that got you involved in your specific area of focus? Um, well, I, I'm a parent myself. And so I think that really helped me understand what I didn't before, which is, it's not an optimal situation to be a parent or a child in kind of consensus reality. Mm -hmm. And, um, I really wanted to make it more comfortable, however I could, for parents and their kids. I love that. I love that because one of the things you you talk about um, when we first had a you know when we first had a conversation yesterday uh, is that you're like you, you help women and people who are socialized femme and femme presenting to step into a more self centered and less other centered existence. I love that so much. So by the sounds of things, like you really work with mothers specifically, but also just, I think young people in general, especially, I don't know, millennials and Gen Zers, I think we're, you're right, we are totally conditioned to really put other people ahead of our own needs. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that looks like and what kind of led you to that kind of work, especially considering how, you know, I think a lot of people have this idea that if you're not serving others, then you're a selfish human being. Yeah. Well, it's it's a little bit this idea of how in the career space, women have sort of, you know, 
they have their cake, they're able to eat it too, they're able to work. And I think where that breaks down is in the privacy of the home a lot of the time Mm -hmm. is um, where like, even though career-wise everything seems divided fairly and is fair when it comes to the home life, there's still a lot of um, just unequal labor. And I think too, one thing that feels a little taboo about parenting that I don't think parents are allowed to articulate is really how much like self-suppression and self-denial there is when you're pouring so much into your kid for such a long time. And this is one of the places where the neurosciences or really the neurobiology is really interesting because of the way that humans evolved our primary survival strategy is really our intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so we had to give a lot up. And one of the things that we gave up is like a full gestation in the body, because in order to have such a big brain, um, we needed a big head. And then sort of we had to figure out, well, like how is childbirth going to work? And the way that we made childbirth work is the baby comes out earlier than Mm -hmm. it. And we really have this long like 20 year and it's actually more than 20 years it's like up until the mid 20s before the brain finally stops developing and kind of reaches more of this stasis point um so there's a way in which given that given that circumstance parents are almost set up to fail um because you are needing to do so much for such a long time like how are you going to get it perfectly um Yes. And I, I just don't know. I, with my clients, I just try to normalize like how really how hard it is and it's okay that it feels hard and it's okay if it feels too hard. Um, and at the same time, knowing the truth of that, how can you still be yourself, still live your life, still, you know, have, have your own life and your own interests uh, in addition to supporting your, your children. Yeah. I think, Part of it is there's a way in which our kids need our parenting and really need our nurturing and, you know, our involvement and a a deeper kind of more mythological part of our children really needs to see us living our story in an authentic way and needs our honest feedback about what life and parenting has felt like and been like for us. Mm as a learning that gets passed down and the more honestly it's transmitted I think the better that I have so many questions for you that's beautiful beautiful work because I think you're right you know I I remember being a um a young person and looking at my teachers thinking oh by the time I'm 25 I'm going to have everything all together (laughs) you know (laughs) and my parents you know especially they had all the answers and now that I'm in my 30s, I'm, I'm looking at myself and thinking, gosh, <laughs> I knew nothing when I was 25, let alone, you know. Um, so I, I'm curious because, you know, so your, your work is very largely focused on helping young people, sorry, helping parents of, of teenagers kind of, you know, own up to their, what, well, honesty really and be authentic in terms of with themselves and also with their with their teenagers with their communities around 
making mistakes and being okay with learning on the job, if you will. Um, how does that, how have you found that that has worked when it comes to helping the parents be okay in their journeys, but also helping that relationship between parent and teenager when there's so much argument around teenagers needing quote unquote stability and mm. look at stability as being something that is not learning on the job. I find it interesting that you use the word stability. Um, I think unfortunately there's this truth about life is and the truth is that it's inherently unstable right like we're actually constantly changing and actually so much of life is outside of our control and we do feel as parents I think that we have to create this illusion of stability or this mm -hmm. illusion of safety that's exactly um, why I used that word yeah <laughs> and I mean I, I a good question to ask is, is that really helpful or mm -hmm. would it be more helpful to actually be a little bit more transparent about how like dangerous life actually is as an adult. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us kind of reach a point in our adulthood where we're like, oh my God, you know, it's not ever going to get any easier. Like the minute I figured this thing out, this other thing comes into place. And especially parenting too. I remember just having this metaphor in my brain of playing a video game and of getting bumped to the next level before mm -hmm. I even remotely figured out the level that I was on. Um, I love that. And I, that. That's how you've birthdays. I'm like, I've leveled up. <laughs> Shoot. What do I do now? Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I, I really think with teenagers, a lot of it is really just letting them be. And mm. I think a lot of us don't. A lot of us feel like the job is to like guide them or reform them or correct them or mm. um, uh, what's the word or to like, you know, offer our mis our mistakes for them to learn from, yeah. which kind of prevents them from being able to make their own mistakes. I think if as a parent, you can be honest about the mistakes you've made, not just with parenting, but with your life, um, but share that story not to get in the way of your child um, having their own mistakes and their own learning but share that story just as in like, this is the rite of passage for life. Like life is one mistake and learning after another, after another, after another. Um, this perfectionism is a myth. I think um, that can create a bond. And I, I think a lot of parents are maybe afraid that it will um, like maybe have their teenager lose trust or lose faith in them if we expose ourselves as imperfect or as like uh, kind of we don't always know exactly what's going on but I think it's the opposite I think um that it increases connection and it increases trust and willingness I love that and your answer kind of reminds me of a couple of quotes of like you know the importance of recognizing that there's no such thing as failure they're simply lessons in disguise, right? And, you know, when we do 
fail, the importance of failing forward. How much does that, if, if at all, does that play into the work that you do with the teenagers you work with? I, with the teenagers that I work with, um, I don't, let me see, how do I want to put this? I think it's, I really like to start with this basis of unshaming, mm -hmm. which is um, a lot of times with failure or perceived failure, there's shame or guilt or fear or like um, these kind of unconscious internal critical voices. So I actually really like to just be with those and invite them to even get bigger, to like complete the thing that we're trying to shut down in ourselves. Um, yeah, so if, if someone feels ashamed or if someone is really like struggling with this idea that they've failed to actually lean into what it feels like to have failed and um, not wallowing necessarily, but I, this is this idea of coherence of like, there's always this like inner wisdom. There's always this inner goodness. And sometimes we just don't recognize it because it doesn't match what the external world kind of puts up as like a guide poster, a metric. Um, but I think this practice with teenagers is asking them to continue to turn inward and to trust because that is really that fragile place where they are individuated enough from their parents that the instinct is to kind of like, oh, where do I differ from my parents? Or like, yeah. where, where am I different from my peers at the same time as this like intense external pressure to like conform and belong. And um, so I think if I could really just name, I think my primary benefit that I bring to working with teenagers, it's the like encouragement that like, yes, trust yourself. Yes, that voice is right. Yes, whatever going on, is going on is right. You know, like, don't shut it down. Don't be afraid of it. It's not going to kill you. And a lot of times that's what we get taught by our parents, right? That like big emotions are going to kill us. Yeah. Failure is going to kill us. Like just yeah. avoid at all costs. Yeah. And that, that is um, never the case, actually. It will not kill us. No, and we I, can't, we can't handle it. Biologically, we can handle all the emotions that we feel. Yeah, no, I love that. I, you, you're literally like, I, 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 I'm like doing a little happy dance in my, in my chair right now because I'm like, you're speaking to my soul right now. There's so much um, reflection that I've done over the last few years and the work that I'm doing of recognizing, to your point, the importance of leaning into those dark spaces, you know, being able to let ourselves really feel those emotions because you can't confront, overcome, understand anything unless you first recognize it, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, my, my fiancé is a, is a self-defense instructor and he's always like, you can't, you can't, you know, defend yourself against an enemy that you don't even want to look at, mm -hmm. right? So um, I just, I love that. I love that so much. And it's, it's a quality um, lesson for teenagers but to your point, it's also a very valid lesson for their parents. What's the, what are the differences that you have found because you are in a unique position of working with both? What's the unique position you found that, um, sorry, what, what's, what, are the, what are the differences rather that you've found between working with the parents compared to working with your 
you know, adults in training? Yeah, it's, I think in general, kids and teens are a lot more fluid and flexible, which is great. Mm. And that is one thing that I wanted to make sure to say, I just, this is more a message to parents, but I think parents maybe have this fear of like screwing their kids up or like, Mm. you know, there's so much in the psychological world and in the literature about how these like early childhood patterns, like create our attachment styles for the rest of our lives. And the thing that I wanted to be really sure to say is what we know now about the brain is that it's incredibly plastic and incredibly open to updating. And there's like, even down to the brainstem level, it's, there's ways to like overwrite old learnings um, in a way that's very permanent, that literally erases the old neural network and replaces um, a new learning or a new perspective. Like, obviously we can't rewrite our history. It's not like we will completely forget whatever the past trauma was, but we can absolutely update like the learning and the schema that we bring forward, the emotional memory that we bring forward from whatever it was. Mm. Um, I think the other place to a lot of when we do these kind of updates or when we begin to try to, to get these updates to occur, a really powerful tool we have that, again, I don't think most people realize how powerful it is, is just their imagination. Like we're used to letting our imagination kind of unconsciously run wild with like worst case scenarios or worrying. Like we use our imagination to worry. We don't really use our imagination to dream so much or to like conjure up like what could have been or like if I had this, how would life be different? So teens and kids are way have way better access to their imagination and to the power of their imagination. As parents, sometimes they're like adults when I try to invite them to like imagine a future like three months from now where like they don't have that issue or like imagine what it would be like to feel happier, to feel free or like whatever mm. the thing is that is removes the symptom that they're coming to me with. Like they're the critic like immediately comes like, that's not possible. No, I, I don't know how... So that's that's one difference. I again, you're reminding me of of the like so many so many things that I am so passionate about. You know, because I I use songwriting as a way to cognitively reframe mm. and re, reprogram my thoughts, and that's what I also do with teenagers. It again lines back to that. Uh, what's that quote of adulthood is the child who's had creativity taught out of them. Mm. right and so you know your 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 work with you know helping young people to hold on to and retain and parents get back in touch with their imagination is such a huge huge thing that I think especially Mm -hmm. in a place like you know let's let's be honest the west we tend to kind of really um teach out of ourselves so what are some like strategies um not giving away too much of what you work with you know your clients on but like are there any you know simple easy to do and effective activities or whatever that that you run your your clients through that can help them to just tap back into that creative self um let me think creative strategies to tap back into their or just like imagination activities you know yeah, 
What, so the so one thing I'll say, um, just to pull in another modality that I work with, which is hypnosis, I think people have a very outdated kind of idea of what that looks and feels like. <laughs> You're going to make me eat onion? Yeah. <laughs> the reality is that we kind of naturally, our brain will go into a trance state. Like if we're driving home automatically from work, if we've mm. driven down that route a million times and our thoughts are wandering, like that's a trance state. Sometimes, like, I don't know if you've ever been on a long road trip where you're just like in the haze of the highway, like in your thoughts are just, that's a trance state. When you're first waking up or like that muzzy feeling right before you fall asleep, even doing yoga and like shavasana afterwards, a mm -hmm. trance state. So if you can begin to cultivate in your life a time where you let your brain move into a more trancey state, like doing yoga every day um, or... And, and really a lot of people do the Shavasana or like even skip the Shavasana, but like taking your time in Shavasana or, you know, um, there's a, if you just Google self-hypnosis, it's so easy to do to like, to bring yourself into just like this kind of dreamy, more like alpha wave, like trance-like state mm -hmm. that gives us more access to the right hemisphere of our brain, which is kind of it's not quite how the brain works, but I'm going to use that language. The language is a little outdated, left brain, right brain. Right. Um, but being in a trance state really brings us more into contact with that right brain. And the funny thing is we are in a society that is so very into like linear thinking, analytical thinking, left brain is like the right way to be. You know, yeah. like if you're a logical person, that's much better than being an emotional person. But the truth is when we have such disproportionate hemispheric utilization, it actually impacts the function of the brain as a whole. And so what I tell people that are very like skeptical of like, you know, creativity or like kind of going more into that place of like draw your feelings or like sing your feelings is that if we tap into that part of the brain, it actually improves brain health and brain function as a whole, including improving that left brain functioning. So in this weird way, the more time that we like actively give to creative pursuits or, you know, like whatever, then that actually helps with our linear and analytical processing. It improves it. So it's worth it to do. Um, yeah. As far as like creative stuff, I will say this, like even even just playing like a little game or a puzzle or even just like sketching or drawing, just the act of like doing something with your hands, like stitching or weaving, and it doesn't have to be mega and it doesn't have to be good and the results don't have to be anything, but that is also so healing for our nervous system. Studies show that like if you're feeling dysregulated, just taking a moment to do some coloring or to like do some Sudoku um, really helps the nervous system downregulate. And when the nervous system is downregulated, our brain works completely differently. Yeah. It's able to kind of notice mismatches. It's able to kind of notice, like, it's able to be a lot more problem solving. If our nervous system is activated, we really move into this place of perceptual occlusion where, like, we're completely operating from like making massive assumptions and like massive leaps. And like, ironically, it's not actually a very rational way to be. The brain shuts down a lot of our 
kind of prefrontal systems yeah. in order just to get us to safety. So that's, I mean, that's another reason. I don't know if I'm telling you creative exercises to do necessarily, but like you guys, it doesn't take a lot, you know, just like Google, like 10 ways to be creative, try them on, try them on. <laughs> if you love it, do it. If you hate it, like pick something else. I think that's like, there's a lot of times people don't ever move because they don't know what, like what the next step is. And a lot of times the next step is just try. Um, yeah. You just, you have to be comfortable with being in that place of kind of like unknowing or figuring out. And then you try something, it gives you a little bit more information. And then you have new information. It's like this like triangulation process, but it's uncomfortable for humans. No, I get um, it. I get but it. I will tell you all the you know, neuroscientific reasons why it's so important to have some sort of creativity practice or some sort of right brain practice. Please do. I can and, do. And the reason, the reason why I'm like, I'm so fascinated about this is because again, you're, you're hitting all my feelings right now. Like <laughs> I, I talk a lot about um, how music and songwriting stimulate multiple parts of the brain. And again, you simplify it down to the left and right side just to help mm -hmm. people kind of interpret as much as they can but yeah. um you know be, because me, the music you know music was one of the things songwriting was one of the things that um helped me redevelop brain function that I lost mm. from brain surgery um and so like you know I mean and that's sort of more cognitive and academia level but you know for you you're you're not just talking about academics you're not just talking about cognition you're talking about everything from emotional um intelligence through to socialization through to you know self-esteem um i just I, I i love i love everything you're saying right now it's fantastic please carry on well let's see yeah so i think that it really helps with your nervous system down regulation it really helps with like overall brain health and function um and again i think it's this place of really getting back into contact with yourself. Mm. Um, there's a way in which one of the other modalities that I sometimes pull in is astrology. And there's kind of this oh. archetype in astrology that is around the self is like self-creation or self-performance. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that part of us really gets shut down a lot. Like we, it's so weird. We're in this culture of like, hyper individuality but we're mm -hmm. also not allowed to celebrate our uniqueness like we have to go it alone but we can't celebrate our specialness it's yeah. weird um and just doesn't make sense so there's a way in which if we're in contact with our creativity and again have a creative practice or like even underneath the creativity, just an expressive practice. Like mm. humans want to express their unique medicine. And if that gets shut down, it's so painful and it's shut down in so many of us. Um, just on like a, a soul level that is mm -hmm. profoundly grounding. And it helps us to know no matter what our parents or our schools or our peers are doing, it's just like self-validation that we matter. We're here for a reason because we are bringing this uniqueness that is expressing in this way and evolving in this way. So I really think it's fun to think about your identity as a performance, as something that you are performing for the world as like this beauty that keeps 
um, or this expression that keeps kind of flowing out and feeding back in. Interesting. That's really fascinating. I and I, I I'm I'm mostly intrigued by that because I've been a performer my entire life, and often um, I, I feel personally and with my you know with every musician friend that I have is this is you know, public facing person versus an at home person. And you're, so what, what I'm hearing you say is that there's like, they can be the same person as long as you're giving yourself permission to, you know, show up authentically for yourself and, you know, not be afraid to be honest in, 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 in public spaces, more honest than maybe some people like mm -hmm. to <laughs> like to let themselves be. yeah I mean I think that is um it's in some ways it's harmful and in some ways I get it this idea that like if you are going to be performing your art or doing your art publicly there's like this persona that comes on mm -hmm. um I think I want to say two things the first thing is that it's okay if and this is actually very human and this is another thing that we kind of shut down in our kids and also in ourselves this idea that we expect people to be really consistent and to like yeah. really kind of just be like one dimension. Like we get very confused if someone goes out and like is like this amazing performer on stage, but then is like shy at like a house party. We're like, well, that doesn't, what? Like I, but it's, it's actually okay. It's okay if you have like an incredibly shy introverted side and an incredibly extroverted performative side in the same person. Like you mm. can be fully an introvert and fully an extrovert in some ways, or you can be, you know, another kind of push pull I see a lot is like, you, you want to feel like both safe and like risk-taking at the same time. And you have both these sides to you and you can be, you know, someone that loves the comfort zone and also loves being outside the comfort yeah. zone. Um, I think the way that I'm, I'm speaking about like performing the self or expressing the self is very, um, it can look like music and art and kind of public performance or kind of these more traditional, like I'm a painter or like I'm a singer. It doesn't have to, um, mm. it can, it really is just about like your uniqueness, mm. um, as a person and you discovering that uniqueness. I think it's, we think it's a given that like, you know, we're ourselves, like we have our own personality and it's not actually, it's, it really is like a struggle and a dance and a conversation with like the world and the people around us. And like, um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but it's not that, that's the, perfect. Yeah, the, the kind of the self-expression is something um, that will actually feel very true and very authentic. And it will not feel like a mask or a persona, the way that I'm speaking about it. Perfect. Perfect. And I, I, I just wanted to get that clarification in there, I guess, because I think, you know, when people often think about performative or, you know, fake it till we make it or, mm -hmm. you know, be the person you want to be, that often manifests as people going, well, I'm just going to pretend that I, and, you know, that, that, yeah. that inside shift, that cognitive shift, that, that um, internal struggle starts to kind of rear its head. And I, I just, I, um, 
I know firsthand how 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 damaging that can be, and I not just firsthand, but also with the with every young person I've ever taught, they are constantly told that they have to appear some type of way, mm-hmm. you know, especially in today's age with Gen Z struggling between, you know, how to ma- how to navigate the world post post pandemic, whilst also trying to get into the college of their dreams and do all the things that tick all the boxes. So yeah. Yeah, that's that's powerful. Yep. Oh, I was just going to say that phrase, fake it till you make it. I, I, first of all, I feel like making it is an illusion. <laughs> yep. So if you think <laughs> that you're going to need to fake it until you make it, you're going to be faking it for your whole life. And that is such a not great feeling. Mm. Um, so I would just completely... Actually, I, I was I pulled up a quote that I was like, I'm, I feel like I might share this quote at some point during the, the interview, and I kind of want to share it now. This is one of my teachers. His name is Martine Prechtel. And the quote is, because the human is not built to be totally healthy, we are in a continual process of healing. So I think part of the work that I do with, again, both parents and teens is this like, Fake it till you make it is this kind of dichotomy of like, you're going to make it, you're going to be perfect at some point. You're not. So the work I do is like about being okay with being messy. And just because you're messy, it doesn't mean that you can't be a healer, an authority, a successful person, someone people respect, someone people look up to. Um, Messy is just how humans are. And we are uncomfortable with that. And we do try to fake it and we do try to hide it. And um, I don't, it is a lot of energy gets taken up by like the mask or the faking. Um, And that energy can actually be redirected towards this beautiful experience of yourself and of the world and of your gifts and of, you know, whatever desires you have. So I wholesale don't love that saying, and I just wanted to say so. And I say a little it. bit about why. No, I, I, I'm not a fan either. Do not get me wrong. Yeah. I, I, I think it can be very damaging. So, thank you. This was a very affirming conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's a mess. Oh yeah. my goodness. You know, yeah. but if you're not learning, you're growing. You know, learning is learning is growing. If you're not learning, you're dying. Rather, so it's um, it's one of the things mm-hmm. that I, I, I honor you and I honor your work, and I'm, I'm very grateful for you know your, um, ability to just not just get very clinical and neurosciencey, but also celebrate and honor the creative process and the messiness of the human construct. I think that's that's really powerful, beautiful work you're doing. Um, so for everybody who is watching right now, who wants to know more about the gloriousness that is Celestina, how can people work with you, find out more about what you do, and you know, either parents, teenagers, how can they get in touch? So all the information is on my website. Which is? Um, uh, which is, yeah, celestinawild.com. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so I don't know if you have show notes where, because the name is spelled a little bit funky. But yeah, social media, website. I do one-on-one work with, you know, couples, parents, teens, kids. Um, and all the information is on my website if people are interested. And I also do have social media, like a lot of 
you know, just follow me on social media. The email list has a lot of free stuff, a lot of free workshops. So awesome. awesome. Yeah. So again, anybody who's watching this and wants to know more about Celestina and the work that she does, you can go to celestinawild.com. That is C-E-L-E-S-T-Y-N-A-W-I-L-D.com. Or if you are more uh, regimented in not understanding the Kiwi accent, that is Charlie Echo Lima Echo Sierra Tango Yankee November Alpha Whiskey India Lima Delta.com. <laughs> Yeah, that was impressive. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I uh, had a previous life in, in the flight travel industry. Um, so there we go, everybody. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for tuning in for yet another episode of the Reconnect with a Teenager podcast. Thank you so much to the iRant Network for being uh, such fantastic producers, co-producers of, you know, bringing this show to the, the airwaves, to your eardrums, to your eyeballs. Uh, and of course, if you want to see more about what I do, imagemusic.com or imagemusic on all social media. Until next time, friends, be good, be kind, spread love like it's going out of fashion. And of course, this is your life, this is your world, this is your album. Don't let the world write your song. You have.